trying to figure out what to call the message this morning. I ended up with, it's all about Jesus because it's one of our values. But to be honest with you, Christ in the center is a more fitting title. So I changed it and it's amazing. I love it when there are small little breadcrumbs that indicate that um, what the direction that I feel led to speak in. And for one, that is a breadcrumb. The song that we sang is a breadcrumb saying that this might indeed be the right message for this morning. Christ at the center. So let's see. I think it's Matthew 16 where Jesus asks, who do they say I am? Is it Matthew 16? Matthew 12 or 16? Nobody knows the Bible in this room? Where Jesus, uh, whom do men say that I am? I think it's Matthew 16. I can be wrong. I would love to be right. That'd be very impressive. Is it? Yes. So he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Uh, before that, uh, we asked them, who do men say that I am? Who do they? When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? Who do men say that I, the son of man, am? Next one. So they said, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. I think just pause there for a second, leave it on. Is that in our day and age, everybody has an opinion about who Jesus is. And they have much to say about Jesus. Some say that he is a prophet. Some say that Jesus is just a wise man. According to the Jews, Jesus was just a Jewish man. According to Islam, he was a prophet and merely a prophet. Jesus asked them, who do men say that I am? And so after the, they answer him, he says, but then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Again, pause there. It's, um, it's a question we should all ask. It's regardless of what some say. You cannot get to work effectively or walk out effectively your Christianity by what others say. Jesus' intent is not to elicit a response from you that regurgitates regurgitates another person's opinion about Jesus. You cannot fight a devil by saying, my pastor says. You cannot stand against the challenges and the troubles of our lives with a response that says, this is what culture says. All of us have to have a personal revelation of who Jesus is. Your walk with God is very difficult based on another person's faith. My faith is for me and your faith is for you. We can put it together and accomplish great things, but I cannot believe for your salvation. You have to believe for your own. For it comes by faith. He said to them, who do you say that I am? It is important what your definition of God is. Because hinged on this definition is every step you'll give from this place. It is very difficult to walk out the expectation of heaven on a flawed definition of who God is. You cannot pay a price if you're, you, that's why we say a price of a thing is subjective. It's based on, some people will pay for art a price that you may not pay for it because it is subjective. What do you think it is worth? It is intrinsic to you. Uh, some will pay something for something that you, a, a price for a thing that you will not pay. And you will not pay the expectation of God and His Word if your definition of God is not accurate. If you don't know who He is, the expectation of Scriptures is absurd. Many people look at our church and, and their conclusion, standing on the outside, not doing the effort of finding out who we are, is that that must be a cult. You cannot be that committed and not be a cult. You cannot be that committed to God, the fairy in the sky, and not be a cult. They must be brainwashed. No one ever says, oh, they might know Jesus. 
people give the opinion of why we grow as a church and they find bad things as the reason, they very seldomly find that it might be Jesus. Because if they do, it disqualifies them. It is very difficult. Jesus says, who do you say I am? Because your steps are governed by the silent internalization of that definition. You internalize that definition, it becomes who you are. What you say and what you really believe is two different things. Because none of us would allow the, our thoughts to be written on our foreheads. Because there's a difference between what you say. What you say goes through a filter. But what you think has no filter. And this question doesn't challenge what you say, it challenges what you think. Does that make sense? It says, who do you say that I am? And Paul, and not Paul, he's not there. Paul only comes later. Simon, the other guy. Peter answered said, you are the Christ. That word, the Christ, is the word Messiah. Messiah means Christ, the anointed one, Christos. You are the Christ. You are the Christ. You are the Christ. You are the Christ. Better way to say it's the Christ. There is the, he is the one. The son of the living God. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. God's response to him is, Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon. Blessing comes from proper definition. Proper internalization leads to blessing. That's why your flawed assumptions that you so dearly hold to is dangerous. You should be open-minded when it comes to Scripture. We are open-minded to secular thoughts, but we are closed-minded to our historical upbringing when it comes to the Scripture of God. We are open-minded to the atheist's opinion about life, but we are very closed-minded to having been taught the Scripture. We don't want to hear what people have to say about Scripture because we have it all figured out already. I mean, I grew up in the church. He says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Uh, Jesus answered him, blessed are you. The blessing follows the revelation. We want the blessing without the revelation, but the revelation sometimes takes time and it takes a price. There's a price to it. Uh, to, to, to get to this place where you understand his role in your life means that behavior will change. I, I'm not, and just hear me now, I'm not saying that your behavior changes and then you get God. You get God, and because you have God, behavior cannot stay the same. If one of you were to talk behind my back about my wife, before I know it, my behavior will not change towards you. Trust would remain the same. But once I find out, in other words, it has come into the light what you have to say about my wife. My behavior follows the revelation. I won't trust you again close to our family because of what you had to say. So in other words, once I realize something, I adjust course. Does that make enough sense? That's a negative way of explaining it. But it's the same way about God. Once you get to know who He is, you cannot stay the same. But some people try and change so that they can get to know who he is. I think they have it in reverse order. He says, Jesus answered, he said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood that has not revealed this to you. We look too much for flesh and blood for the revelation of who God is in our lives. And we look too little for the revelator, who is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one that is supposed to bring into the light who Jesus is. He says, Paul, sowed the seed, Apollos watered, but it's the Holy Spirit that makes it grow. I preach the word to you, but I cannot have this word grow in you. That comes by the Holy Spirit. He is the great revelation, uh, revelator of God. He is the one that shines the light, illuminates the mind. He is the one that brings the prototype into clarity for us. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjota, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And very chuffed with himself, Peter is very impressed with himself. Move on to the next one. And I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. So after, just pause there, he has the revelation of who Christ is. He doesn't have the keys yet. He says, I will give you the keys. He doesn't say, I give you the keys. It is, it is 
Walking into the deep things of God is progressive and takes time. It's much like maths. It's so fitting. There are two things that you can never go without as a good pastor preaching on topics. It's CrossFit and maths. These two things translate into every spiritual truth possible. I can't count the ways. But if you exercise it, exercise your faith. I will give you the keys of the kingdom so it comes over time. And whatever you bind on the earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on the earth will be loosed in heaven. So it hinges on the first revelation. Who do you say that I am? So Peter being blessed is connected to who he says God is. Very people... And again, when I'm saying you will be blessed, I'm not saying you will be rich. I do not equate the same, the, the two things. Being blessed can include being wealthy, but it's not, it, is, it is not wealth as the goal of being blessed. That is not the substance of being blessed. So he knows who the Christ is. This leads to blessing. And this is the doorway to having keys of the kingdom of heaven. And having the keys to the kingdom of heaven leads to spiritual authority. Whatever you bind in heaven shall be bound on the earth, and whatever you loose on the earth shall be loosed in heaven. Spiritual authority then follows the keys. The keys follows the revelation. You cannot, God is not going to give you information to build on your flawed definition of who He is. The problem is, if we don't abandon culture and we begin to retain some of the manifestations of our culture and we begin to import that into our walk with God, we end up in a cult because we distort what God intended. You have to surrender who you were to become who God needs you to be. You have to die to self because if you bring in what you had into what you are getting, you change that into a cult, a sect, a false religion. This is what is happening in South Africa with many of those that have the word Christian in their name but are far from Christianity. Having retained historical uh, uh, ancestral worship in our expression of our faith, it's false. You cannot import those things. He says, I'll give you, we'll lose it in heaven. Next verse. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus, the Christ. And from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to... Now, Jesus had this great moment with Peter. Peter is standing there. Peter has this great revelation of who God is. It's a great experience in the presence of God. He's talking. And he's just had, I think, a wonderful prayer moment with Jesus. Just nice and fluffy. Jesus spoke to him. He feels good about life. He sees the future. Everything's good. Everything's going to work out. And now Jesus begins, to, because Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. I shall give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Now these keys are not given immediately because I, I want to submit to you that I think he lacks understanding. There's something missing for those keys to be handled well. When we give keys to the safe in a bank to someone, we expect the guy that handles the keys to the safe to have gone through some training. What does he do when somebody walks into the store and says, give me the keys? If he's uneducated, he's going to hand over the keys. And so, so, so I think he lacks a little bit of understanding. So, so Jesus is taking his time. And now, now he says, I will give you the keys. And now Jesus is beginning. He's already begun, but he is in the process of schooling Peter and the disciples about the weight of the kingdom. We like the easy stuff. We like it when the pastor preaches Touch your neighbor and tell him, this is your here. Have you seen that meme? Phone the pastor and said, I thought you said it was my here this year. He says, no, I told you to touch your neighbor and tell him it's his year. <laughs> Raise your hands, point it to me and say, pastor, this is your here. Amen. I receive it. <laughs> From that time, now Jesus is going into a little bit deeper things. I mean, you've been saved for a week. Everybody told you it's going to be great. You're saved now. Serve Jesus. It's going to be fun. 
Jesus begins to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. They go like, yeah, Jerusalem. It's a big town. It's going to be fun. Let's go to Jerusalem. And suffer many things. What? Say again, Jesus. You are the son of the living God. We hit the jackpot. We found Jesus. Jesus, where do you want me to preside in office from? Now we go into Jerusalem and there I will suffer. Suffer. It's weird, Jesus. It's a weird choosing of word. Do you mean blessed? No, you're blessed because you're going to suffer. These things are confusing my mind. We'll suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes. I Suffer? I thought they were our buddies, Jesus. Won't they be happy to see you? No, they won't be happy to see me because I'm going to confuse their little thrones that they've built for themselves. And be killed. Killed, Jesus. I was good with suffering. <laughs> killed is a radical, radical term. Do you mean we're going to kill it on the platform? Hey. I'm just going to kill it with my dance moves. The world has become so soft. In the old days, we used to fight. Now we have dance-offs. You want to fight? Dance fighting. Jesus says to them, and be killed, and then I will be raised on the third day. So imagine we're sitting around here, church, having good discussion. And I mean, this is why the world around us thinks we're nuts. We're talking about we won't die and we'll live forever. It's, it's weird words. Imagine that's the first time you hear these concepts. And so the third day, Peter, is, his mind is racing. Obviously, Peter had a pat on the back. That's the problem with giving compliments. You think one compliment can spill over into the other areas of your life. You think because you're a good businessman, you're automatically a good spiritual person too. Because your, your skills in business is now shouting that you are amazing at everything. You have many rich people or people who are idiots. And we look at people who are wealthy and we think that their wealth is a sign that they will be good for the kingdom. It's not, it doesn't work that way. That's why he told the rich man, go sell what you have, then follow me. Don't bring that with because you're going to take that and bring it into the spirituality. Peter said to him, uh, and then Peter takes him aside. Peter says to him, Jesus just told him, well done, Peter. My father spoke to you. And on this confidence, he takes Jesus aside. Isn't this how confidence works? It, the momentum of confidence is so scary. Just because you do well in certain areas of your life doesn't mean that you should be closed-minded to what God is busy teaching you in this season too. Because right after Paul, uh, Peter hit the nail on the head, Jesus says, I have to suffer many things and I'm going to die in Jerusalem. You guys, let's go. We're going to Jerusalem. He says... Uh, he said to him, takes him aside. He says, okay, well, I'll handle this maturely. He takes Jesus to the side. I mean, the other guys are standing there thinking to himself, where are they going? Peter says, I got this. I'll sort it out. I'm coming back. I'm going to deal with the suffering death thing. He was good until he said suffer and die. I'll deal with them. Come right back. Takes Jesus aside. He says to Jesus, Jesus, I like you, man. We're tight. But all this talk about death, Got to stop, man. Got to stop. Nobody's dying. I don't like this dying thing. I got a couple of plans for my business one day. This dying thing is not going to cut it. Takes him aside, rebukes him. Says to Jesus, you think this is only Peter that's done this. How many times have you told Jesus you're not happy with his choice? Let me make it simple. I'm a practical pastor. I'm a practical pastor. How many times have you complained not to God, to other people, about God's choosing in other people? <sighs> okay, let's move on. So, so Jesus is taken aside and Peter is trying to say to him, listen, I'm not going to allow this. You are not going to die. Because Peter is now convinced that he, he has some information. He has some understanding. We sometimes do this to God by telling we, we reject God's choosing in other peoples because we measure them. We measure their sinfulness. On, we have, 
Wouldn't life been, been easier if you had like a green light and a red light for every decision you had to make in your mind? And every time it's a right decision, there's a green light pops up. And every time you have a red light, some of you would have a red light every time you look at your girlfriend. Imagine how good life would have been if you had a red light, green light situation. But we measure people based on their sinfulness. We have a sinfulness scale. And we have a qualification scale. In our mind, that person is not qualified to teach me. And every time we discount their ability to teach you, you are judging God's choosing. And you're rebuking God for His choosing. Because you think you already have the keys. Moving on. Far be it from you, Lord. This shall not happen to you. Peter, I mean, Peter did nothing until Jesus arrived. He was fishing. Now all of a sudden, he has the answers for the universe. Hanging out in nightclubs, getting drunk, and now all of a sudden, you've been saved for two weeks, and now you know how the church should do it. Far be it from you, Lord. This shall not happen to you. Jesus turns around and says, but he turned and said to Peter. This is in the same chapter. He just said to Peter, well done. There's no way you could know this. My father showed this to you. Right after that, he turns around and looks at Peter. He says to him, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. He calls him Satan. Sometimes you, sometimes what we do. Oh. My What you should do with offense is not serve a dinner and take it on a date. What we do with offense, if the pastor says something in the tithing message, if he said something in the tithing message that you disagree about, you haven't heard anything about the sermon. You have not heard a word in the sermon because you're still stuck in your offense in the tithing message. So instead of telling Satan, get behind me because you are robbing me of the word of God, you're entertaining it. You're having a discussion with Satan. You can't talk to someone that's behind you. You can only talk with what is in front of you. You give offense the seat that Jesus should occupy. So Jesus tells him, listen, Satan. He says to him, get behind me. And he doesn't just say, stop it, Beatrice. We are dealing with a fence like, oh, stop it now. Stop it now. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. I'm going to work with it. It's okay. Is he offended? Yeah, Piki, it's fine. I'm going to fine. I'm going to sit, it's fine. Jesus doesn't entertain it. He says, get behind me. And just in case Peter didn't get it, calls him Satan. <laughs> he says to him, you are an offense to me. That's the word offense. You are an offense. So I was right saying that. I did not plan for that word to be there. But Jesus knew he predestined that word to be in the scripture. You are an offense to me. So he takes an offense and puts it behind him. Many of us cannot reach out to what God has because the offense is in the way. We have to reach over it. We can't get it. God needs it behind you. Your offense is a stumbling block because he says, get behind me. You are an offense to me. For you are not mindful I just had a revelation that you are the son of God. So you can have a revelation and not be mindful. You can have a revelation that he is God, but not mindful that he is God. I can go about life knowing that Jesus is Lord, but not be mindful of Jesus is Lord. I become an offense when I have revelation, but not mindfulness. When I am not mindful who he is. He says, you are an offense to me. I think in another translation, he says a stumbling block. 
NIV uses the word stumbling block. Let's just check, just for in case. A stumbling block. A stumbling block. Yes. You are a stumbling block to me. What is a stumbling block? Let me go closer. You cannot get to where you are stumbling over things. Many things are in the way of God's provision in your life. It is causing you to stumble over things that should be behind you. Your blunt refusion to deal with offense is causing you to stumble in a straight way. Back to King James. You are not mindful of the things of God. You are fleshly minded. You are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. You can know who he is, but your mind can be occupied by the things of men. God calls you Satan. It, uh, let me phrase it this way. It is satanic in nature to be mindful of many things, things of men. It is satanic. It is not even just, it's not, it's not evil. It's not just not nice. It is satanic in nature to, be not be, to not be mindful of Jesus. It is satanic in nature to not be mindful of the things of God. You become a stumbling block. When you mix the things of men with divine revelation. When you import my needs and wants and feelings and perspectives and cultures into who Jesus is, it becomes a stumbling block because I cannot see my way clear when I have to calculate how to deal with everything I want and have God. He says to him, you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Mindful. Mindfulness is the way you think. What occupies your mind? I don't want to be behind Jesus. I want to be in front of Jesus. Jesus puts Peter behind him because of what is in his mind. Many people are shouting after Jesus and not speaking to Jesus. Because our mindfulness is not around Jesus. Does that make enough sense? But the things of men, next scripture. Then Jesus said to the son, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. You need to reinvent yourself. Whatever you think identifies you. Does your cars identify you? Too much of that. Does where you stay identify you? Too much of that. Does your group of friends identify you? Too much of that. You should deny yourself. Because you can only step into the deep, deep things of God when you, when you begin to say, God, I'm not bringing in my assumptions. Because some of these assumptions are blinding you to what God wants to do in your life because you assume you know. And your identity is shouting at you that you must know. Why must I know? Because you're rich. Therefore, you must be right. I mean, you've done Bible school. You must know the answer. I mean, you've been this way. You must know. You must have the answer. Even the patriarch Abraham offered, had, to, had to offer his son Isaac because he thought he knew when he begat. Begat, begot, begot. He begot Ishmael. He thought he knew. He didn't know. You have to be open for God to speak to you. And you are clay molded into the image of Christ. He is molding you. And some of us are so hardened in our heart that we are unmoldable by God. And if God can't mold you, you are not a vessel can, that can be used. You are a vessel that God says, Satan, get behind me because you are mindful of the things of men. Because we are not operating in faith. We are, we are trying to operate in logic. We want to understand how God can get me where I want to be you. Think God is a tool to get where you want to be. God is not a tool. He is the center. God is not a tool. He is the center. Okay, moving on. Hebrews 1 says, 
Hebrews 1 to 3. It says, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets and at many times in various ways. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets and at many times and in many various ways. And in the last days, he has spoken to us by his son. But in, the, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things. And through whom he has made the universe. So he... The universe is made through him and he is the heir to all things. You are following, right? And through whom he had made the universe. The sun, the sun, S-O-N, is the radiance of God's glory. The sun. God's, God's glory is manifest in the sun. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. To behold God's glory is to behold Jesus. He is the radiance of God's glory. He is not a, a picture that sort of points to the... If you were to draw a rabbit on a, on a piece of paper, most of us would discern that that's a rabbit, although that's not a rabbit. Because you can't draw all the hairs and the ears exactly the same way. You can't really present it well. When, when we say Jesus, he uses the word exact. He says, is the exact representation of his being. The sun is the radiance of God's glory in the exact representation of his, of his being. When you see Jesus, he says, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You're not seeing a picture of the Father when you're seeing me. You are literally seeing the Father when you're seeing me because the Father and I, we are one. There is nothing in the Father that is not in me. And there is nothing in me that is not in the Father. It, we are exact copies of one another. Jesus is the perfect representation of God. He is an exact copy, uh, not a copy, copy is the wrong word, representation, that's why it doesn't say copy. Exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. His word is not just a word, it's the powerful word. After he had provided purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Jesus through him, the universe was formed. He is the exact representation of the Father. God's glory is revealed in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is, this might take longer than expected, this message. Jesus Christ is in all the books of the Bible. Jesus Christ is in every book of the Bible. Abraham is not. And David is not. And we are not. We are, and all people, are the goal of Jesus' coming. But Jesus is in every book of the Bible. We, we see him in, in, in Genesis 3.15 when he says, I will put a seed between your seed and her seed. In other words, the seed of the woman. Just because Jesus wasn't supposed to be born of a man, that's why he says the seed of the woman. It says that a king to sit on the throne of David into all eternity. Jesus has been prophesied from Genesis 3, 16, directly after the fall. He is the seed to come. And through all the books of the Bible, we are taught and we see that the Old Testament has this expectation, rather anticipation of the Messiah's coming. The Messiah, the Messiah, Jesus coming. The whole Bible creates in the reader the understanding that there is a coming Savior. This coming Savior is coming to save humankind from their fallen nature, being fallen away from God. Jesus Christ is the one that saves the humankind, brings them back to God the Father. Jesus is the expected Messiah to come. Jesus is not just a by story in the Bible or someone we meet in the New Testament. Jesus is in the beginning of the Bible and we close the Bible with Jesus, the victor, and people restored unto God. Jesus, the whole book, the Bible, 66 books, 40 different, is it 40 different, 66 books, 40 different authors, 1,600 year period. 1,600 year period, 40 different authors, all, paint the same picture, this red scarlet thread 
throughout the whole Bible, you can trace Jesus from the first author all the way to John's letter in Revelation. The revelation of John being pulled into heaven and what he saw. We see Jesus through the entire Bible. It is impossible for 40 different authors to not miswrite one another. It's not, historical, it's not a historical book. It's not trying to tell us the historical layout of the land. It's trying to give us a history of God's plan to save humankind. And 40 different authors over a span of 1,600 years without Facebook has the ability to capture Jesus Christ in vivid revelation and explanation to bring him into clear perspective in the reader's mind. It's about Jesus. This is what makes the scripture, the Bible so profound. So when you read the Bible, you are reading and looking to find Jesus. Jesus is the center of scripture. If you're reading the Bible to find a solution to your problem, but you're excluding Jesus, you'll never find it. You're walking around the maze, never getting to the center of it. If you are reading the scriptures without being mindful of who Jesus is, his function, his purpose, his calling, his, his reason for coming, you're reading the scriptures, you're reading it blind. You're reading it, but you will not see anything come alive. Jesus is the key to unlock scripture. Jesus is the key that brings meaning to all these 66 different books. Jesus is the center of the Bible. Your pastor, your church, your brand, your family, your, your gebedsteki, om die etenstafel, niks van dit, nothing means anything if Jesus is not the center. Jesus is the center. The purpose of scripture is to highlight Jesus. Jesus says, if you lift me up, I will draw all men unto me. I think the biggest magnet to pull people into the church is to have Jesus be lifted up. It's not a good program. It's not good admin. It's not skillful preaching. It is lifting Jesus up. When you lift Jesus up, he will draw all men unto himself. He says in John verses 43, the following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth. In verse 40 of John 3, John 1 verse 40, he says, we have found, just go there, John 1 40. We have found the Messiah. Messiah. There we go. One of the two, first we found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ, the Messiah. The whole Bible is written about the Messiah, Jesus. Jesus is the Messiah. And the Bible is about Jesus. Jesus is in the center. It's not by accident that we have in this church. One of our, it's, it's, it's called a value, but it's the cornerstone principle is that it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And he says to him, we have found, what have we found? We have found the Messiah. How do they know to look for the Messiah? If you go back to verse 43, how did they know to look for the Messiah? The following day, Jesus Galilee found, follow me. Verse 44. Now Philip was from beside the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathaniel, said the prophets wrote, uh, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and all the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth. Just pause that scripture up there. We have found the Messiah. How do they know they're looking for the Messiah? Because the Old Testament talks about the coming Messiah. Everything talks about the Messiah. It talks about Jesus, the Messiah. Of whom the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth. We have found, we have found him. We have found him of whom the entire, a thousand. You think Joe Biden in America is big news. He spans four years. 1,600 years of writing scriptures, playing out another 2,000 years now, 6,000 years in total, the story, speaker. 6,000 years, the story has been playing out. 
for this revelation. And you're concerned if you're going to make it through the month. You're concerned if you're cool. And if your ride or die buddy gangsters thinks that you're dangerous. You're concerned if you get a thousand likes, a, a story that's played out over 6,000 years is busy culminating into the revelation of Jesus is the Lord. And if it happens in our lifetime or not happens in our lifetime that Jesus comes back, would we expect him to come? But if he comes back now or 100,000 years from now, it doesn't matter. But Jesus is coming. This whole story is playing out. It's all this whole epic universal story revolves around Jesus. You think it's about your ministry. You think about how many people will remember you. It's not about you. No one cares. It's not about your family, your legacy, your trust account. It's not about how you build a company. Everybody does that. You walk down Cape Town, Clifton, try and count the houses. There are many rich people. You're not the first. Walk down in Shlanga, count the flats that's there. Between 5 and 10 and 15 million rand per flat. There are so many you can't count them. You're not the first. You think it's about that. No, it's about Jesus. Your whole existence is about Jesus. It's not about how you wear clothes and cool and how you think you're just, it's not about that, it's about Jesus. Your whole existence revolves around Jesus. It's how South African politics plays out. It's 20, our, our democracy is 20 years old. 6,000 years has revolved around Jesus. Watch this, I'm gonna finish my message. I'm gonna just try and finish this. I wanna go to Romans 1. Paul, a servant, Romans 1 says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures. The whole Bible talks about Jesus. You're reading the Scriptures to see Jesus. You're reading Scriptures to see Jesus. What shall I say? Go, go, I'll close with this. What, what's happening? I only had five hours of sleep. Maybe it's that. Revelations chapter number one. Jump to Revelations chapter number one. I read, through, I think, from the first, uh, fourth paragraph, fourth, fifth paragraph. John, the seven churches, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and was. Grace to you. And peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. Grace to you and peace from him. Where does grace and peace come from? Him. People want me to preach about revelations. Let's preach about revelation for a minute. Grace to you and peace from him, not from the pastor. You are not in the church because of me. You are in the church because of God. Uh, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. That wisdom manifests in everyday life. The reason that manifests in everyday life is because I have God in order. The pastoral group of pastors in this church is in order because of their relationship with God. I, my marriage is in order because of my fear of God. My marriage is in order because of my relationship with God. I don't come to church because the pastor convinces me. I come to church because I know Jesus. And I know that because I know him, it governs the way I do things. Right? He says, to him who is and who was. So Jesus is not living in 2023 only. Jesus is and he was. And who is to come? He is right now. He is very present right now. But the same Jesus who is here, the son of the living God, the Messiah, the Christ, was. He was, he is, and he will be. Is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne next verse and from jesus christ the faithful witness the firstborn from the dead the ruler over the kings kings of the earth to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and made us kings and priests to his god and father to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever how many church names do you read there that gets the glory and dominion <clears throat> How many great ministries do you get? How many great businessmen? Do you see Steve Jobs' name there? 
or Elon Musk's name or any influencer. None of them are recorded in a story that spans 6,000 years. They're just a puff of air. It's a breath in and a breath out. We build our lives around our little thrones and we ignore Jesus. We are not mindful of him. We are mindful of the things of men. We can know that he is the Messiah, but we are mindful of short-term goals. And your life goals are short-term in the span of eternity. Made us kings and priests of God. He, to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Next verse. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. Even they who pierced him, everyone will see him. Jesus is not coming in secret. He is not the lamb coming at the second coming. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is a lion. The lamb is done. The lamb was offered and slain for our, slain for our sins. The next coming of Jesus is the, la the lion of the tribe of Judah. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Alpha and Omega is the first and the last letter of the Greek alphabet. Is the first and the last letter of the Greek alphabet. In other words, all the letters in between there that make up the Greek language, he is before and the end of it all. Everything that needs to be said is said in Christ. Every word that can be spoken is spoken in Jesus. The universe is upheld by his powerful word. He is the Alpha and Omega. The reason you have a lack is because you don't have the fullness in your lack. The only one that can answer your problem is the one who is the Alpha and the Omega of your problem. Who is the beginning and the end, the start and finish of our lives. He was there when it began. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and it was God. And He is in Revelations. He is in Revelations. He is the Son of the living God, the Lamb of God revealed to be the Lord God of it all. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is my wake up in the morning. He is my going to bed at night. He is the center of my universe. If he is not the center of your universe, you are missing out. I, 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 I'm going to, I need four more minutes. Is that fine? I don't want to preach this message tonight. Let's, let's see if we can move on. I don't want to, I want to finish this. He says, John's vision of Christ. Um, I, John, your brother, companion in the suffering of the kingdom, patient, uh, brought on the scroll. Verse 12. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands were someone like the Son of, God, of Man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white. There were seven golden lampstands. He says he sees seven golden lampstands. Revelations. The book of Revelation is written in part to seven churches. Five of these churches, Jesus, the, 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 John finds a problem as he sees this picture and he writes down what he sees. There are five accusations to, to the seven churches. Two of them have no accusation against them. But to five, he has an accusation. It's, we don't have time to go into who these seven churches are historically and what it means in church periods or times. But to seven churches, he writes a letter. He doesn't write any letter to any individual. He writes it to the church. He writes it to the church. And as he writes this, we, we begin before he, we get into the letters. He says, I saw seven lamp stands. Put that scripture up there. And in the middle of the seven lamp stands, I saw who? Jesus. So, so he, at the end of chapter one, he explains what the seven lampstands was. He says it's the seven churches. He writes the letters to the seven churches. He says, I saw in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man. So seven lampstands, seven churches. Jesus is standing in the middle. So to break this all down in my two minutes that I have left, Jesus 
is the center of the church, not you. We don't come to church for you. Just like I don't go to math class for me. Okay, that doesn't work. Jesus is in the middle. Exodus, I want just, Exodus says this. Or numbers at least. He says, Numbers 8 says, The Lord said to Moses, Speak to Aaron and say to him, When you set up the lamps, see that all seven light up the area in front of the lampstand. Numbers 8 says that. Numbers 8 says, Let the lampstand light the area up in front of the lampstand. The seven churches and in the middle of the seven lampstands, Jesus was. The church, the seven lamps, makes light and shines on Jesus. Our purpose is not to elevate man, but to elevate Jesus. Jesus is the center. Everything. I'm not mindful of my problems. I'm mindful of Jesus. I'm not mindful of my needs. I'm mindful of Jesus. I want to submit to you that you can be excluded from what God does because you're mindful of yourself. You're mindful of your needs. You're mindful of your personality. Your personality is a grassy a blade of grass. It's there today and gone tomorrow. It's, it's, you must make that puff of air count in eternity. And the only way you can make it count is if Jesus is the center. Jesus is the center. Jesus is the center. Revelation, he says, I stand at the door and knock. One of the churches, he writes that to. We use it for salvation. It's not knocking at your heart. It's knocking at the church. He wants to be the center of the church. Jesus is the center. When we come, we don't sing about the pastor. We don't sing about my business. We don't sing about your business and your career. We sing about Jesus. When we lift him up, he is the center. Jesus, we have a Christocentric perspective of life. Jesus in my heart. When I begin to see him right, he begins to work in my mind. And the same one, he said, Satan, get behind me. Is the same Peter that preached powerfully in the book of Acts when the Holy Spirit was poured out. Have your mind changed. Have Jesus be the center. When I move, when I have to change my house or move to a different place, I do it with Christ in the center of my mind. Is he the center of your life? Does he have the high seat of who you are as a person? Amen.